Thank you, Susan. I think that's her name. Susan. I think Susan's fitting. It's a good assistant name. She's very like professional. She's like a mom. She's like a mom of four. Soccer mom drives a minivan. On the Mm -hmm. side, just uses her voice to soothe people and be your your narrator. Yep. I love that for her. We love you, Susan. Thank you. Susan is the Zoom voice that says recording in progress. That's her job. Yeah. At least I always know whenever she starts recording me, so I I know not to do dumb things. Oh, that's no fun. Well, fun fact, my dog is currently pouting like hardcore because I have the door closed. Because she'll just continue. Wow. She like busts her way in like the Kool-Aid man half the time if my door's not shut all the way. Um, well, hello, everybody. Welcome back. Um, we are happy to see you. So we're going to go ahead and say hello to everybody and get rolling. So if you want to skip uh, ahead, which is rude, you can skip 20 seconds ahead. But hello to all of our patients around the globe. Hello to everybody in the United States, the United Kingdom, India, Australia, Bulgaria, Jamaica, Russia, Belgium, Italy, Canada, Sweden, El Salvador, Nigeria, Portugal, Germany, Albania, Cuba, Spain, Iran, Mexico, Norway, the Philippines, and South Africa, and to everybody in between. We're happy to have you here. Um, Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Psych Ward. Or if it's your first time visiting, grab a visitor's pass and take a seat, and I'll take you on a tour of the facility. Not saying that we won't make you an actual patient, too, so forewarned. Why else are you here? (laughs) It really is. um, It's an exclusive. An exclusive. Uh, Okay. With that said, welcome to part one. So we're going to be covering the case of the butcher baker also his name is robert christian hansen and our story takes place in alaska oh we have no listeners in alaska yet so if they know anybody in alaska send this their way that was cool why is it always that it's when we record for your episodes that would have like God. a major glitches? I don't know. It's hilarious. I have made someone angry in the cosmos and I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I did. Like, but you guys don't understand is that like we typically our, our, our flow of things is if we're recording two episodes, we'll do mine first and then Darcy's. And it's like every single time we go to protract it to Darcy's episode. This poor bitch has to, like, edit. I don't even know how much just because of, like, something happens every time. Listen, the audacity of a hoe, which apparently is me, and I don't (laughs) know what I did, who I angered, the gods, I'm not sure. So, back to what I was saying. We are um, covering the case of the Butcher Baker. Um, but he's called the Butcher Baker, and I was like a Sweeney Todd kind of guy, right? I was like, he butchers people, and then he bakes them into pies and bread and shit. Like, my brain immediately went to Sweeney Todd, and that's not the case. He was a baker, but it had nothing to do with his crimes, so just get on. He didn't bake all sorts of meat pies. 
He didn't bake. I mean, he baked like breads and cakes, but he also didn't butcher anyone. That's what I don't understand is he didn't butcher anybody. Like he didn't chop up his victims. There was he was never a butcher. I don't understand where the butcher came in. I get it. It's a catchy tagline. It's a catchy headline in the tabloids. Sure. But it irks me because generally tabloids are pretty good at getting creative with headlines. Right. And that mm-hmm. one just doesn't make sense. Whatever. Moving this like wah wah. I was like, this is gonna be some gory shit here. That's what I thought too. And then I was like, oh, okay, no. He's up there with like Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy and um Jeffrey Dahmer. Like he's up there with all these people, but we've never heard of him. That's because it's in Alaska, not the lower 48. You know, I think that's a huge piece of it. Here's what his total crimes encapsulate, including things that he's suspected of doing he was never actually charged for so it's a compilation of like he probably committed this murder but we don't have evidence to link him to it and things he actually did 17 to 21 murders 31 more 31 plus rapes one attempted murder one attempted rape in the course of about 12 years give or take when the murders started happening that's a 12 year time span Jeez. And he had a family? Yep. Yep, He had a wife and two kids. So, Robert Christian Hansen. He was born February 15th, 1939. Um, And he was actually born, I think, in uh, Indiana. Indiana, I don't, apparently I didn't put it in my notes. But he was born, he was the son of Dutch immigrants. So, he was, um, like, the son of, like, first-generation parents. And his parents owned a bakery in this little town in the midwest and they saw relatively good success and they were like oh well we want to even be bigger so they moved him um to california where they were like we're going to make it big they had you know the american dream in mind and then that fell through and they didn't do really well so they moved back to the midwest and they were like okay we're just going to open up another bakery and we'll be fine so they didn't have this big successful upgrade that they thought but they were living a modest life they had a respectable business they had respectable reputations um they were essentially for first generation immigrants like living the american dream right mm-hmm. but the problem was um okay sorry some things we already know he's an aquarius and he's the year the rabbit for our chinese zodiac fans and his method of killing um, included abduction, torture, rape, and shooting. He did stab one of his victims, but that wasn't his preferred method. He also had an IQ of 131, um, placing him in, like, the top 98 percentile. So he wasn't dumb. He was smart, as most of them are. But back to what I was saying. So he has his parents. They're also very Christian super christian parents to the point of he was forced to write with his right hand because he was left-handed so that was one thing um lefties are the besties so put a a hand up in the comments if you're a lefty like me and he developed a stutter so he developed a stutter and instead of giving his son speech therapy his dad was like oh well you'll overcome that stutter with will sheer willpower 
and just interacting with customers at the bakery. That was his dad's solution to his stutter. Great start. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. So he has a stutter. He is obviously feeling self-conscious. He has these really strict Christian parents. And he's working a bunch of hours at the bakery. And on top of all of that, he develops uh, acne, like really severe acne at an early age. So he becomes the subject of bullying at school and being made fun of, not only for his acne-prone skin, but because he had a stutter. So it's this combination of things all happening at the same time, right? Yeah, looks good. Yeah, so he didn't really have that best of a a come up bits in terms of, or I guess, roll the dice, would you? The problem was, and this would be diagnosed later on, is he kind of kept this Rolodex in his brain of anyone who wronged him, he wanted to get revenge on them. He wanted to get them back. He wanted to get back at them. So he's working these long hours at the bakery. He's He absolutely hated where he was. Now, mind you, he didn't take the move well. The move to California was fine, but when they moved back, he like t- he had it like really hard. And I think that had a lot to do with like he went from being in a small town with which was what all he knew to moving to a big city like Los Angeles and being immersed in a bunch of people and being like a small fish in a big pond where he could easily blend in to now being put back into a small a small pond and he's like the ugly duck in, the ugly duckling in the small pond right so he didn't take that transition really well on top of everything else and the second he graduated high school, he fled to the military. He was like, peace out. And he was like, I'm gone. Like, and he, he felt that would be a way for him to escape the, the tumultuous life, I guess. And like the boring cycle of all the things that he was going through. And that's a big indicator for him because that's when he finally has like his first sexual encounter. When he's like 18, 19 years old, he's in the military, he's deployed, and he finally has sex with a sex worker. He engages in intercourse with her, and he finds that he really enjoys it. Nothing wrong with that, dude. Do your thing. Um, But what he particularly enjoys is he can, like, tell them to do whatever he wants, and they'll do it. And he's—this comes into play later, and part of me thinks it's part of his, like, well, this is why I did it. But he talks a lot about— he what even he had two marriages and in both marriages he was cheating on his wives and he would actively look for sex work and he talks about like well like he says specifically i would never ask my wife to give me a blowjob he's like i would go to these sex workers for blowjob and he's like i that's something i would never expect of my wife who's like a good christian woman so he has this really weird dynamic of how he buckets women and women like his wife and like his mother and like the women that he respects, he puts them in this box. And then the women who are like sex workers or beneath him, he's like, those are the ones that can do the shit that I really want. And I'm like, that's an interesting perspective. Not that it's not new. It's not new, but it's interesting that it's like oh, something as simple as like a blowjob. He feels is too beneath his wife to do but justifies him going to a sex worker to have done. Yeah, and that's where it's like, I don't know if it's like a male versus female kind of deal. You know, it's like, 
that's something that doesn't really cross our minds. And I mean, I know it's like we're different now because it's like nowadays and stuff like that, but I would have never had that kind of thought processes, but maybe people still or men do still nowadays. And it's just like, I hope now with our culture and at least and stuff like that, that, you know, people are a lot more open with their spouses and their partners, you know, because I'm sure his wives weren't necessarily wanting him to necessarily go out and cheat just for to get that some sort of satisfaction, you know. They'd have been like, fuck, I'll do it. Like, sure. But it's like, it was never a thing that he brought up. It's just like one of those situations. It, it, it was just a really weird thing that like kept coming back up. But anyway, so he discovers this. He discovers sex and he discovers the joys of like the sex workers like doing what he wants because he's paying them and he tells them what to do. And it's this sense, it's an ego boost, it's a power trip, right? So it's not long after he comes back from his military service that shit pops off. And by shit popping off, I mean he's 21 years of age, right? He comes back from his military service and things downward spiral quickly. We're going to get into a lot. And then we're going to hit our worker, and then we'll get into the remainder of him in the following week. But starting December 7th of 1960, he's 21 years old. He comes back. He's working at his father's bakery. And while he was in the military, he took on some job. I can't remember what it was, but basically he was teaching um, younger kids. And it was like a more of a partnership on like the law enforcement side. He did some work with like the fire department. And he was kind of like a leader and a coach and a mentor to young men. And he was really good at his job and they really looked up to him. And one of these young men, he came from a prominent family. Um, he ended up replacing him at his father's bakery because his father found out, hey, I'm overworking him. He's working too many hours at the bakery and doing this part-time thing, being this mentor to these kids. So he cut back his hours and eventually cut him off completely from the bakery. And then he hired on this kid who we'll call Max. Max took on um, a great deal of uh, anonymity to keep himself concealed. He didn't really want to be associated in these interviews and everything. So he's called Max. At the time, he was 16 years old. And um, Robert would come around and he would talk to Max and he would complain. And eventually he said, you know what would be really cool to see if I could just do it? I want to burn down the school bus garage of the high school that I felt wronged me, where I got bullied and I got teased and I got made fun of. And it's just set the whole fucking garage of school buses on fire. And so he talks this kid into doing it because this kid really looked up to him and admired him and wanted to, like, impress him. So they do it. They fucking go over there in the middle of the night they set the shit on fire and they flee and then he comes back to help put out the fire that he set because he works with like the fire department all those that you can't see my face <laughs> I, it, the one eyebrow raised of what <laughs> now we're adding arson to the list because if we mention arson to you I didn't mention arson, but that's the most innocent of his crimes. All right. Yeah. So he basically gets away with arson and he's totally fine. They can't figure out anyone who did it. They don't know who did it. But eventually poor Max can't handle the guilt. 
Max is like, I can't do this. Like, I, I just can't. So he goes to the police and he tells the police the truth. And the police arrest Robert. His parents are furious. They're convinced that Max is trying to frame their son. Um, but they can't prove it. Like, eventually, it's basically like it's he, there's enough proof that he's he's guilty and he's kind of like the ringleader. And by this time, he's married, by the way. I totally jumped a piece. Um, but he ends up marrying a woman named, um, Phoebe. He ends up marrying Phoebe. Um, oh yeah, he ends up, he's dating Phoebe. They're doing their thing. And this whole arson thing happens. And they're kind of like, wow, we should probably hurry up. So they literally get married, like within three days of him going to jail. <laughs> so he marries Phoebe, who is a very, and you for Phoebe, I mean, I, I feel like nowadays she's like, I dodged a bullet. But she he marries Phoebe, and Phoebe, he he takes his plea deal. He takes his plea deal that would significantly reduce his sentence if he could if he finds himself guilty and he whatever. And so she makes him like swear to her before he goes to jail that he didn't commit this crime. She's like, if I find out that you set that you committed ours, I'm like, I'll divorce you. And I was like, first of all, hell yeah, Phoebe, right? And then second of all, it's like, but will you, though? Right. And so he swears to her that he didn't do this. And then he goes to jail. Well, he's sentenced to three years in jail um, at Anamosa State Penitentiary. He ultimately only serves 20 months behind bars. This tends to be a pattern for him because, you know, he's a, a white man in the 70s. He gets off with a lot, especially when his victims are sex workers. Um, yeah. yeah, so he goes to jail and he is starting to be seen by a psychiatrist. And while he's undergoing psych evaluations, um, he's just rambling on about like, oh, I guess I set it on fire because, you know, I felt that they had wronged me. That's where I had all the da, 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 blah, 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 blah. And he's just like telling this doctor like the whole shebang. He's like, well, doctor patient confidentiality, right? Like I I'm protected. No, he finds out very quickly that um, his records aren't confidential and his wife finds out that he did commit sarsen and she promptly files for a divorce. And I was like, Bravo, Phoebe, good for you. Mm -hmm. A woman of her word. Um, he eventually comes out of this whole debacle with being diagnosed. Now, at the time, they called it manic depression with schizophrenic episodes. That's nowadays bipolar. So I will say bipolar in the in future notes. But at the time, because 70s, he's diagnosed with manic depression with bipolar with I'm sorry, with periodic schizophrenic episodes. Um, and his psychiatrist also said that he had an infantile personality because he was so obsessed with getting revenge on people that he felt wronged him and getting back at them. Um, in 1962 is promptly when Phoebe would divorce him. So, 1963, so he is now, what, 24 years old. He would go on to meet his second wife, Darla. And I, all I can think of is Alfalfa anytime I hear the name Darla. Oh, um, Darla. Exactly. <laughs> so he meets, he meets Darla, who would go on to be his second wife and the mother of his two children. Um, four years later, so after he courts, they get married. 
uh, he eventually convinces her to move with him to Anchorage, Alaska. Um, but before that, he's jailed a few times before they move to Anchorage. So in 1967, he's jailed for things like petty theft. Um, he, he just kind of goes back to like some petty theft crimes. He gets caught up, blah, 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 blah. He's like, I need a clean slate because all of these charges are making his parents' reputation look bad. And his parents are getting upset. So he decides to like leave. Now, there's some things you need to know about Alaska in the 1970s to the 1980s. There was a huge boom in oil in Alaska. So there was, it was almost kind of like the gold rush. There's a huge boom and a bunch of people moved there, including women seeking fast money, being sex workers and strippers. So there's this. I, I didn't get a chance to look into it, and I will happily do it um, if it's inter- if anyone's interested or if you're interested. There's this theory that the Italian mob had a huge play in the boom of the Alaskan red light district that came out of this oil boom. I know. I I'm like, never thought that. I know. So they're saying there's like this Italian mob and like Fourth Avenue was like, if you went to Fourth Avenue, it's like Van Buren and 7th Street, right? It's like the red light district. So there was like, like hookers everywhere or sex workers to be more politically correct. There's sex workers everywhere. There's strip clubs everywhere on Fourth Avenue and bunches of young women are flocking there. So you can imagine like pimps pop up. And it becomes a very seedy part of town, right? So, with that being said, they end up moving to Alaska in the early part of the 1970s. Because his murders began in 1971. So, excuse me. We're going cu- to cover a couple, and then we're going to pause, okay? Gotcha. So... His murders take place, like I said earlier, over the course of 12 years, beginning in 1971 to 1983. I'm going to cover some very specific cases, and then I'm going to just mention some names. And then at the end, um, I do want to kind of like, I'll do like this little memoriam to all of the victims at the end of the episode, um, at the end of episode two. So he's, like I said before, he ultimately gets convicted of four murders when he confesses to 17 but there's upwards of about there there's this map and there's like 20 to 21 or 24 on this map that he's potentially connected to but they can't prove so some of these have stories that are assumed he committed some of them are actual crimes that he committed and some are stories that he says and he tells um, but yet we don't have any evidence for. So there's a weird compilation of things. You just have to bear with me. So his first crime takes place in November of 1971, November 15th, 1971. Susie Heppard, she's 18 years old. And Susie was leaving um, from work for that day. She gets in her car. She pulls up to a red light and Robert's in his car next to her at the red light and she just does like a friendly smile she does like that you see someone they see you you smile right like everyone's done that he takes that as an invitation like she's inviting me over like that's exactly how he sees it so when the light turns green he lets her go in front and then he follows her all the way home to her apartment because she smiled at him at a red light Ooh, this is why i don't make eye contact with people and i like my windows windows are very tinted 
I'm like, I don't want people yep. knowing that I'm driving this truck right now. Yeah, Nobody exactly. Knows. Yep. So he follows her home and then he waits for a couple of minutes. She goes inside and then he gets out of his car and he knocks on her door. <laughs> he knocks on her door. She answers the door and she's like, why do I feel like I know this guy? But I, whatever. And he's first saying that he's looking for somebody. She's like, I don't know who that is. And then he tries to, like, start to hit on her and, like, make small talk with her and, like, ultimately asks her on a date. And she's like, what the fuck? And she, like, politely rejects him and, like, shuts the door. He's livid. He's like, this bitch, like, rejected me. Like, all the other women in my life that rejected me. And it's like, yeah, because you think that women should just owe you a date because you ask her on a date. But that's another soapbox for another episode. And so he doesn't take it well, to say the least. So he leaves. And for the next week, he stalks her. He watches her movements. He learns her routine. And he decides a week later that today is the day that he's going to make her know that she made a mistake. So he shows about her apartment. And he waits. Around 5.30, she comes home after dropping her roommate off at their job. And he gets out of his car, he approaches her, and then he points a gun at her. And he basically, and she starts to scream because she's like, he's pointing a gun at me. And um, he tells her to shut up. And her neighbor, bless her soul, opens her window. Mind you, PSA, be this neighbor, okay? She hears someone screaming. She opens her window. She says, Susie or whoever, are you okay? She doesn't hear anything. So she doesn't assume that everything is fine. No, no. She calls the police. So she calls the police and she says, this is, I heard a scream and I didn't get a response. Please come here promptly. And then she just like screams out the window. Hey, um, I've called the police. They're on their way. You better leave whoever you are. And then he doesn't move. And then he starts to hear sirens. Now, we don't know if those sirens were for another thing or if it was actually the police coming to the call. But he gets spooked and he leaves. And, you know, she obviously, like, runs inside and everything. And so he he totally flees. He freaks out. And he, he doesn't even take his car. He just books it, like, into the forest. So when the police arrive, Susie describes him to a T. She tells him the whole story. They see his car and then they go driving around and eventually they find him on like the side of a road and he tries to tell them that he um, was he he like got lost or something. And they're like, yeah, we're not fucking buying that. So like they arrest him. They apprehend him right away. Um, and when he's questioned. He, uh, he, here's what he decides. He found out that this worked with one of his psychiatrists in the past. So he plays the same thing with the cops when they are questioning him about meeting Susie and then stalking Susie and approaching her with a gun and the whole thing. He's like, well, he's like, I, I don't remember anything. He's like, I have these, um, blackouts. I have episodes where I just black out and I don't remember anything. Um, and, you know, like, my psychiatrist will tell you that. Like, I just, I don't know. And he tells them, I was listening to a, uh, a, one of the podcasts I was listening to, they said that he told them, if I did this, if I committed this crime, 
I should be helped or I should be like incarcerated or basically whatever that whole bullshit. Knowing full well that he actually doesn't have blackouts, but he convinced his doctor he did. And um, ultimately, he gets a slap on the wrist. So he says all this, he gets a slap on the wrist. And his whole thing, his whole punishment is he's court ordered to see a psychiatrist. That's his whole punishment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like that already. I know. So we're on like slap on the wrist number two, right? So we're going to fast forward um, a whopping month to December 19th, 1971. And we're going to call her Laura. She goes by, that's the name, Laura. We're going to call her. She's 18 years old. She was leaving a diner. She just got off of work. She was having some dinner at a diner. And she was leaving to go warm up her car. It was December in Alaska. So she's like, she tells her waitress, I'm going to go warm up my car. She goes warm up her car. She's heading back inside the diner. And he approaches her. And he's trying to pick her up. Mind you, she's a sex worker. She's used to men trying to pick her up. She politely rejects him the first time. He gets more insistent. She politely rejects him a second time. And he's like, no. And he pulls a gun and forces her into his into his car. He had a Pontiac, but he had like this big camper kind of on the back. But when you think camper, think kind of like the ones that are like, they go over your truck bed. So like that kind of camper. Um mm-hmm. And so he forces her into the back of his camper. He binds her with like leather shoelaces to like the back seat, convinced she's not going to go away. He starts driving and he asks her politely if he can rip off her bra. And she's like, honestly, I would rather you not because this was really expensive and I don't want it to get destroyed. Oh, yeah. So his compromise to her is okay. So you'll take off your bra and all of your other clothes. Because in his mind, he was like, if she's naked, she won't run away. God, if I were in that kind of situation, I don't give a fuck what I'm wearing. Exactly. But that was his thought process. So she's like, flopping everything out of the shit. Yeah. So she gets naked. She's like, all right, fine. So she takes all of her clothes off. She's like laying in this backseat of his Pontiac. And they drive for another 80 miles. And he finally pulls off to a motel in the uh, the Kini or the Kini Peninsula, um, where he ties her to the bed inside the motel and he rapes her. Um, after a quick little power nap, he takes a little nappy nap and he's like, let's go. So he shuffles her back into the car, I hope with clothes on. Um, and he tells her that he's going to take her home, that they're going to go home now after driving for 80 plus miles. And then eventually he takes a detour into the wilderness and she's like, oh, this motherfucker is not taking me home. Like, I'm not going home. He drives into the wilderness enough that eventually the road is so compacted with snow that he can't drive any further. So he takes her, he like rips her out of the car and he tells her to run. And he's like, run in the middle of the forest. She collapses and starts pleading and begging with him to, like, spare her life and to not do this. And, like, she promises she won't tell anybody. She's like, I hate the police. Like, I'm a sex worker. Like, this is my profession. Like, I don't trust the cops. 
And she's like begging with him to not kill her. And like, I won't tell anyone. And it works. So he puts her back in the car. He starts driving back towards Anchorage. And she's like, listen, like, if you really don't believe me, like, here's my license. Take a picture or write down my address so you know where I live. Like, I'll never tell. And he's like, I'll do one better. And he's like, take, he's like, give me all the names and the addresses of your family members. So he takes down, like, the names and the addresses of, like, her dad, her mom, her brother. And he's like, if you tell anybody, I'll kill your family, basically, is what he says. So convinced she won't say anything, he lets her go. And she runs home. And she calls her dad, who is an Anchorage police officer. (laughs) Oh, that's so ironic. Yes. But here's the problem. She tells her dad and her brother the majority of what happens to her, but promises and like makes them promise her that they won't say anything to anyone. And that's hard for her dad because he's a police officer, but also like his daughter is a sex worker in the 70s and that would like look really bad on his family and like blah, 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 stupid social stigmas, right? So we're not done with Laura yet, but... We're going to jump ahead a whopping three days to October, to October, to December 22nd, 1971, where we meet Cecilia. She goes by Beth uh, Van Zanten. We're going to call her Beth. And she was 18 years old and she was ba- she was with home home with her two brothers. She said she was going to go babysit and she wasn't. She was actually going to go somewhere else. And she's abducted. Um. Robert is never convicted of her murder. He's never tied to her murder, but the MO matches really well with his MO. And this happens three days after the abduction of Laura. So she's actually found her body is discovered on Christmas. So what is it? Three days later, her body is discovered after she's abducted. And the story is that he did whatever he did he drove her into the middle of the wilderness naked told her to run and just left her there to he like bound her and like left her there to freeze to death in the wilderness i think he was his plan was originally to like hunt her or like whatever but she fled and in the pursuit of hiding from her captor she was so paranoid she waited and waited and waited eventually freezing to death in the wilderness Oof. Yeah. And she would be found on Christmas Day um, by two hunters. And so while he's never been directly tied to her murder, he is the number one suspect behind her murder. Well, once Laura saw Beth's death in the paper, she was like, I can't do this. Like, I can't keep quiet because somebody else might die. So... She calls her dad and she's like, I want to talk to the police. So she turns Robert in. She's like, this is the guy, by the way. <laughs> so they're like, okay. So December 27th, two days after Christmas, police officers go like knock, knock, knock on his door. And they're like, yo, we're arresting you, right? So they arrest him. Um, and by this point, he's also being accused of of abducting a housewife. So in between all of this, he's also abducted a housewife and it's failed. So he takes a plea deal and he's like, okay, 
So we'll take this plea deal. And a part of the plea deal is they're going to put the abduction of the housewife and the rape of Laura together. And they're going to combine the two cases. And he will, and, and the rape charge will be dropped. So they're going to combine the two cases and they're going to drop Laura's rape charge. And he'll be sentenced to five years. And they're like, okay, we'll accept that. The problem is he only actually ends up serving six months in jail because he gets to go out on a work release and live in a halfway house. So they let him out of jail on work release and in a halfway house after six months. That's the part of like the legal system that I really don't understand too. It's like, how can you be sentenced to a certain time, but then be released early? Like to me personally, like logically, I would be like, you're being sentenced to this time. You're going to have to serve that time. Why should you get the right to be out early? I don't get it. It never makes sense to me. Understand on small charges, but something like that, I don't think. Yeah. You should be allowed out on like work release and into a halfway house. Like, like that's those are dangerous charges. It's not like you were arrested because you had pot in your pocket, you know? Yeah. And I just want to put this out there, but it's like, I don't know if you guys have realized this too, but like, whenever we talk about these cases and stuff like that, usually there's red flags. Like, nine out of 10 times red flags like with my last one that i did with the girl scout murder case red flags how is it that you know still to this day people choose to ignore that i don't i don't know i just i i I don't get it i hate to say the human condition but I mean, I get it. Like, everybody wants to see the good in people, you know? And that's a, that's a natural human trait. Like, you want to see good in people. But especially when you talk about severity of crimes, like, it's a huge red flag. Yeah. I mean, just a thing I didn't mention. The hard part, too, is Laura, like, prosecutors actually got Laura to agree to this plea deal because they had convinced her that. It was a he said, she said at this point and that she would lose because because he had he had friends and family coming in to vouch for him that he he was a pillar of the community and he would never do this. And she's just lying and blah, 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 because she's a sex worker. You also like have to know, like police officers in this time, the majority of them that get involved in a lot of these issues are like and there's a movie that i'll reference and a lot of notes but they were like at one point someone said uh is it even rape if it's with a sex worker like, can you even really rape a sex worker or like a hooker or a prostitute and it's like yes you can <laughs> absolutely you can yeah and he says if a woman says no then if you continue that's rape regardless yeah and so that's a big part of how he gets away with a lot of this is because he has such a great reputation in the community, especially during a time when that was really big. And he's having all these accusations coming at him from women who are considered beneath everybody. So 
that's where we're going to leave it for this week. And uh, next week, we're going to jump right into a bunch back to back to back to back to back. And then ultimately how he gets caught because it's a fantastic story. And I will cite my sources in the next episode because I'm going to reference a lot of them. Um, but yes, so that's part Ooh, one excited. of The Butcher Baker. I love when it's got a good ending. Thank you guys so much. You can find us at TAKTV Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can also check out our Facebook page at Take a Killer to Brunch. Check out our website at www.takeakillertobrunch.com. Um, you can also email us at TAKTVPodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on Patreon and Patron for Take a Killer to Brunch. And we will see you guys on the next one. Thank you. Oh, cheers. Ah, <laughs> I saw a little bit of Cheers. <laughs>